Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. I'm so glad to have my uncle here with us. All the way from Singapore. <laughs> yeah. I don't, we don't know how you washed up here, but welcome. <laughs> uh, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass... When they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Answer, yes. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed, cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Jesus, we give you all the glory, all the honor, Lord. We magnify you and we thank you for your presence, God. I'm thanking you in advance for a visitation of your spirit in a miraculous way. I thank you for touching hearts. Grinding stony hearts to powder, Lord. Minister to us, Jesus. Minister to our minds, God. Let every heart be open to receive what you have in store. And everybody said amen. 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 And you may be seated. I want to talk this morning very briefly on this subject. The curse of the second best. The curse of the second best. There was a time, uh, uh, actually I would moved out to Arizona where I found... The lovely Miss Whitney. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. She's definitely going to beat me up. She doesn't like that kind of attention. But <laughs> there I was. I was, look, I, was um, I was looking for a job. I had 
been offered a job at a financial institution and they were just taking a, their headquarters was out of Spain and so they were taking a really long time uh, to hire me and I had just picked up any kind of work I could so essentially I was working fast food, digging ditches, and doing whatever it took uh, to stay alive and uh, I decided, you know, maybe this isn't what's going to happen. Maybe the Lord's going to close this door after all. So I decided, you know what, I'll apply. Uh, I saw an ad in the... Uh, on the, I shouldn't say the paper. I, I don't think I've ever read the paper in my entire life. It was an ad someplace, um, and it said, uh, Casa Grande PD, now hiring. So I decided, you know what, I'll give it a shot. I'll show up. And I show up for one position they're hiring. There was like 120 applicants that showed up. I'm thinking, man, there's guys there. That, you know, there are, they got muscles on top of muscles. They're ex-special forces. I look like a string bean. I weigh about 140 pounds soaking wet. So I, I, I barge in there. I'm going to give it my very best. You know, at least I can beat the girls or something. <laughs> these, other, these other guys, man, they were huge. I'm like, where did they? I've never seen you in Casa Grande before. It's a small town. You all look like all on roid rage. But uh, so they were, there we were. I, I did pretty good in the, and they, they make you do push-ups and crunches, and I was doing pretty good. And, and then they said, all right, now it's time for the two-mile run. And that was very sneaky because in the ad, it said a mile run. So they str strategically did that to trip people up. Literally, that's not a metaphorical thing. They literally wanted you to trip up. And so uh, we all, I'm I, immediately eyeballing everybody. And all of a sudden, all those muscles, you know, they don't seem so awesome because muscles don't run themselves, you know. So I'm like, okay, I got this in the bag. But I did see kind of towards the edge of this big, huge group of people that were about to run this little mile uh, jog, I saw this one guy. He was extremely tall, probably about six foot five, six six. Well, for me, that's extremely tall. And uh, he was very thin. And you know those people you just got to eyeball them one time, and you know that guy's got a marathon in him easy? That's how he was. He was like stretching, and he had like the prowess of a gazelle. And I knew that was going to be the guy. That was going to be the guy. So we all get up on the line. And uh, I had, everybody was assigned, uh, there was groups that were assigned to a particular sergeant. And I was assigned to this sergeant. And again, there's, there's certain people, you just approach them. And it was like they were genetically designed for the job that they're doing. Not only physically, but just their behavior. And I was assigned to this guy. Granted, we're in Arizona but he had like a Mario mustache, and he had like this thick Brooklyn accent. So you know his, his family had been either in the mob or the police force since they arrived from Italy <laughs> like 16 generations ago. So this guy's blood ran blue. He was the real deal. And he's just real barky. He's like, get on the line. No emotion whatsoever. So I can't do the grunty thing and the Brooklyn accent at the same time. I apologize. Uh, but he... He got, he, we all got on the line, his little group, and uh, he gave us some little motivational speech, and then we all take off. They fired a real gun. I'm like, only the cops. <laughs> pa, pa, pa. <laughs> Looking for a good excuse. Uh, let's start the race. Bust out the Glock. Uh, so we uh, were running, and uh, sure enough, this guy takes the front of the pack, and he's a good, oh, I don't know, maybe it was a ways. 12, 13 lengths ahead of me, and uh, we're going through, and it was on the, on the fourth lap, 
Man, I gave it everything I had. I hit the NOS, threw the turbos on. And um, I thought I was going to do it. And I, I almost did, Brother Samuel. I almost beat him. And there was that little sergeant. I, I maybe came in, I don't know, it was like uh, not even a half a second. It was very, very fast. There was tenths of a second in between us. And the sergeant, he comes up to me and he's like, not bad, second best. <laughs> and I think he intended that genuinely, I really do. I think he intended that to be uh, a compliment. But when he said it, it was like he had took a, <laughs> took that same gun that they used to start the race and put it right up to my chest and pulled the trigger out. <laughs> Because all I can hear echoing in my mind, I've never even really watched NASCAR, but I sure know Dale Earnhardt's famous quote, second place is just the first loser. <laughs> he said, not bad, second best. And uh, it was miserable. That's my... Probably my most uh, striking, most memorable uh, encounter with being second best. And in this particular scripture in Genesis, there's a lot of controversy regarding the scripture in terms of why the Lord did not accept Cain's sacrifice. And I do recognize in order to blot out sin that there has to be blood involved in the sacrifice. But I also recognize that there are things, uh, there are certain offerings and certain sacrifices outlined in the Old Testament that even, uh, that are not predated to uh, this particular sacrifice, but they do cover bringing the first fruits and bringing of the grain. Sacrifices that did accept fruit and grain as a part of their ritual. So I, I really started thinking about this particular scripture. And as I read it again, I want to point out something very important here to us. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Now that seems very straightforward to me. Very self-explanatory. He just brought what he had. But there's a little extra detail included in the description of Abel's sacrifice that we do not find in the description of Cain's sacrifice. And that is this. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. I'd like to propose to us that it wasn't necessarily what he was sacrificing. It was the quality of the sacrifice and the representative attitude behind that sacrifice. It was an attitude and a quality issue. Because the scripture even summarizes before. It says, you know, Cain, he was a tiller of the ground. And Abel, he was a herder of the flock. And in other words, what that is doing is that's summarizing what we should anticipate them to bring. We should be prepared. This is what this individual specializes in, and this is what they're going to bring a portion of that. 
And that's very important because uh, as human beings, uh, no two of us are exactly alike. And the Lord, He's given each of us individual giftings, and He's given us different skills, and He's given us different attributes that make us who we are. I don't want to be exactly like you. And thank God you're not exactly like me. <laughs> well, there was, there was silence, so maybe y'all do want to be like me. <laughs> the head is growing larger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I need Bishop to say something. <laughs> Chop me down. <laughs> Cain, he brought just what he had on hand. But it specifies that Abel brought the best. He brought the firstlings. He brought the fat. He brought the very best that he had to offer and the very first of what he had to offer. Cain's downfall was an attitude that generated within him a desire to only give second best. You know, God's not a, I, I'm not my father. God doesn't walk with me in the cool of the garden. He's a spirit. He's not even tangible. So uh, I'm just going to save the best for me. And uh, when I go to sacrifice, I'll, I'll just sacrifice what I have left over. I'll just sacrifice what is remaining. And this is something that we have to be so wary of and so careful not to fall into this, this ploy of the enemy of just giving what's left over. And I recognize there's a lot of things in life that are extremely important to us. I like being able to wake up in the morning and have a roof over my head and the house smells fresh and I go and I flip on the water and I take a hot shower. I like those things and paying the bills are important. But if I'm pinned in a situation where I have to choose between giving what is rightfully God's to God and my civic duty to myself, I am always, always, always going to choose giving to God first. Because if you will take that path, inevitably he will bless you. I'm glad. Thank you for all one of you that is with me on this. He will bless you and he will sweep into that other situation and he will provide. He'll make a way. When there was no way prior. Because there's benefits to giving your very best. I, you know, it's, it's very interesting. How many of you have uh, siblings by raising of hand? And how many of you have ever been frustrated with your sibling? My <laughs> Everybody close your eyes while you raise your hand the second time. No, <laughs> uh, there's been a couple times uh, that I have been very frustrated with my siblings. Uh, my brother and I, Winston, were about 17 months apart. Nolan and I were about uh, eight years apart, and age doesn't really matter. At some point in time, you're going to get frustrated. People are people. And there's a little thing that 
that men have. It's called testosterone, and it, it drives them to do unusual things. Scientifically proven. <laughs> but I can honestly say I have been very frustrated, and I may have wanted to uh, physically... We'll leave it at that. But I don't think the urge has ever come to me after an argument. And I see my brother or even my sister. I don't think we ever really fight, though, do we, Tay? She's just a little angel. Lord, don't strike me dead now. (laughs) But I I don't think I've ever seen uh, my brother or my sister after an engagement of that nature and thought, man... You know what would feel really good right now? To pick up a rock and just bean their brains out right here. I've never had that occur to me. So I know you have to be in a pretty dark place to feel some frustration, maybe some embarrassment, and your pride and your ego is hurt. And your initial response, that was premeditated. He was going out there. He was going to smoke him. And he took care of business. You're in a dark place when that is your first response. But what we have to recognize is it was an attitude issue. He wasn't necessarily mad at Abel. This was his opportunity to get back at God. How many of us have ever, I've seen a lot of people be in this situation. You get get a little mad because somebody did something to you. Man of God, he said something to you or... One of the saints said something to you, and you got a little offended. So you know what? You're going to come to church, and I'm not going to pay my tithes. I'm not going to worship. I'm going to let everybody know that i got a bad attitude. What you're really doing is you're not really getting back at the person that wronged you. You're, you're, taking, you're picking a fight with the wrong person. You just booked yourself a one-way ticket to getting smoked. <laughs> like I said, thank you, Mom. If I ever become a comedian, my mom, she, I'm going to get her tickets to every show. I can count on one laugh. <laughs> Side note of this message. Nobody will ever love you like your mother. It's not even Mother's Day. See, because my wife, she sees right through it. She said, no, that's, that's not funny. <laughs> my mother gives me the courtesy laugh, you know. God bless her. But when it comes to the kingdom and when it comes to your giftings and the sacrifices that you make for the kingdom, what you have left over, what you have remaining after you've taken care of yourself and yours, That's not good enough. If you will set a precedent in your own life that everything that you give to the kingdom, that everything that you give to God is the firstling of all that you have, your resources, your time, your prayer life, God forbid, your money. If you will set a precedent to give all that you have your very best to the kingdom. What will begin to occur is 
the residual blessings that begin to pour down as a result of that sacrifice will in turn affect every portion and aspect of your life. And there will be nothing that has not been tainted by the blessings and the miracle-working hand of God if you will be sure to give Him your very best. And I, you know, I, a lot of times, I've heard this before, and, you know, I, I'm not expecting everything that you um, have to pay out in terms of, of utilities and mortgages and loans, etc., that you have to match that to the kingdom. I recognize that that's not feasible, and I understand some of us work 40, 60, 80 hours a week, and to turn around and give that to the kingdom of wealth as well, that's not feasible, but it's what you give and the attitude behind it. If you give so much energy at work, and I know there's some, there's some professional people in here, there's some hardworking people in here, and you give a lot, and you commit, and you dedicate yourself. I know, I work with some of you. You're hard workers. But if you give that much to an employer, even if the employer is the church, I'm not telling you to slow down. I need to, need to keep the numbers bumped. But as much as you give to your employer, you need to turn around and give that much more to the kingdom. I'm sorry. When you volunteer for something, you've been working hard, you know, you feel good because you volunteered, but then you don't show up. Or if you do show up, you know, do a halfway job. Oh, my God. Ooh. Coon dog Jesse just got let off the chain. Everybody's quiet. Saucy. Like where we are. Must have struck a vein. Nothing less than the very best will satisfy the Lord. You know, I've, sometimes you got to, anytime, let, let me give you a little advice. I'm not just... Uh, I, there's, there's nothing behind this besides my genuine attitude on the situation. Anytime pastor or anytime brother Josh or anytime anyone takes up a special offering, I make it a point, and uh, my wife can attest to this, that I will never give anything less than a week's worth of pay to a special offering. And the reason I do that is twofold. I want to be blessed, for starters, but secondarily, I want to feel it hurt a little bit. You know, I, I, I well, I shouldn't say I do anymore. I, I haven't, Grayson knows I haven't hit the gym in, you know, the coon's age, but uh, I, I was very frequently going to the gym, and I have never met anybody that was obviously very physically fit. That was just going in there and eating a marshmallow and, you know, Mr. Bean push-ups. Like, you don't, you don't meet swole people. You don't meet extremely physically fit individuals that don't feel pain throughout the course of their workout. If you're going to be shredded, it's probably because you're doing two things. You're starving yourself just a little bit of the good things in life, i.e. ice cream, 
donuts. My wife and I, we've been saying we're, we're going to chop that out for a little while now. It hasn't quite hit me. Yeah, you can see how emotional my daughter gets about it. But you will never find anybody that's frequently in the gym that are extremely aesthetic that doesn't feel pain throughout the course of their workout. Because giving your best requires that you hurt a little bit. See, that's the thing. We want to give to the kingdom. And we want to feel good about it. But we don't want to give until it hurts. I'm just being real. You've got to push yourself to give till it hurts. You know, they say, I, I was talking to a guy at the gym the other day, and he told me, he said, when you, when you have exerted so much that you feel like you're uh, about to, to vomit, you're, you, you, are, you are so exhausted, you're, you're perspiring so much, and you've given all that you have, or so you think, that you feel like you're uh, uh, about to expunge the contents of your gut, that you've given about 80% of all that you have to give. 20%. In terms of numbers, 20% is still a lot to give. You've got a big reserve. So even when you start to hurt, even when it starts to hurt a little bit, you probably haven't given all that you have to give. And keep in mind, the Lord, He doesn't accept anything less than our very best. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow. But it's very clear here in Scripture that the Lord, He does not accept anything less than the very best. Pastor talked about where the impossible lives this morning in MIT. It was a fantastic lesson. If you weren't there, you should have been. Uh, I pray that each of you grows a desire to learn more and shows up to our our class, uh, our MIT class at 9 a.m. so that we have to hold it in here. Amen. I know that was a little bit of me uh, living where the impossible is. <laughs> Got it. He t- pastor talked about saying things that sound weird when they come out of your mouth. That was one of those things, in case you were wondering. But there's no champion that has ever set out with the desire to be anything less than number one. When someone works hard enough to get into the, the Olympics, are they shooting for that bronze medal? Are they shooting for that silver medal? No, everyone that enters the Olympics is entering, or any activity of any contest, uh, contestation whatsoever, they're entering with the desire to be numero uno, number one the big chief, the top of the pedestal, the gold medal, the platinum member. Everybody enters with the ambition to be the very best. I was watching uh, Paralympics. I try to watch them every year uh, because to me they're phenomenal. Uh, I mean, I I watch the men's 100 meter at the regular Olympics, Summer Olympics, and Usain Bolt. Smoking it. I mean, fastest man alive, arguably, ever. Ran the 100 meters in 9.58 seconds. That's booking. That is a, that's off the line, like, faster than a sports car. He is moving. 
But I, I was watching the Paralympics, the men's 100 meter, and they have different classifications. And I think it's like T, I think it's T47 and up are people that are confined to wheelchairs and with severe uh, spinal uh, issues or severe uh, uh, leg disfiguration. And uh, to me, that's always the craziest one to watch. Watch people with no legs do the 100 meter. To me, I mean, I can run 100 meter. I might not run it as fast as Usain Bolt, but to watch someone with no legs do the 100 meter, it's pretty, pretty fascinating for me. And uh, uh, it was a, several years back that Leo Pekka Tati of Finland set the record at 13.63 seconds. Now keep in mind, Usain Bolt did it in 9.58, and on 100 meters, for just slightly over four seconds, that's a lot of time, until you consider the fact that one of them is on two legs, and the other is in a wheelchair. So to show you how impressive that is, I need someone who's extremely physically fit, or capable of walking. Anybody? Any volunteers? Samuel, you'll have to be my brave volunteer. I need you to come on up here. I have brought Exhibit A, Samuel. You can stand right there. And I've also got Exhibit B. So I can show you just how impressive it is. Because when you start out and you are completely handicapped to the extent that you can't um, move from what would be considered the middle of your torso down, and you tell your friends and your family, I'm going to be an Olympic champion. I hate to tell you, but you might not have a ton of supporters right off the get-go. But I'm going to show you how impressive this is, that he, ran, he moved only four seconds slower than the fastest man on the planet. And I'm going to show you because I guarantee you I can move this thing about as fast as Samuel can maybe quickly walk. Exhibit A. Now Samuel is briskly walking. <laughs> to put it in perspective... I think in high school, uh, I ran a 10-7 on the 100 meter. Give our assistant a great round of applause. I ran a 10-7 in high school, which is kind of, that's decent, you know. It's not getting me any, any uh, full rides or anything, not that I was on the track team anyways. but uh, And I, my brother, Winston, he's fairly, he's actually extremely athletic. I think he ran a 10-2, which is very good for high school. Uh, but that's still considerably slower than Usain Bolt, the fastest man alive. But when you put into perspective that somebody on two wheels did it only four seconds slower than the fastest man on the planet, all of a sudden things get kind of amazing. Yeah, he did. Yeah, just about outwheeled out, out me. We weren't supposed to bring that detail up. Huh? <laughs> yeah. 
But what that does is that that puts in perspective for us the attitude and the mentality that that individual possessed. You, didn't ju- you don't just wake up one day and put your hands on a wheelchair and you book it down the 100-meter the track at 60 miles an hour. That's work. That's dedication. That's a lot of busted-up hands. That's a lot of pulled shoulder muscles. That's a lot of push-ups. That's a lot of track time. That's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. That's a lot of giving nothing less than very best. Because a lot of, a lot of, I was reading a, 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 reading a, a report about the genetics of athletes, and granted, a large chunk of Usain Bolt's ability is genetic. It's very tall, very lean, almost perfectly designed for running. But Leo Tati of Finland is not perfectly designed for the 100-meter dash by any stretch. And that is a perfect example of giving nothing less than your very best. If you would turn with me to Malachi, chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. And this is, this portion of scripture is titled, The Sins of the Priesthood. And the scripture defines you and I as a royal priesthood. So this should be, anything regarding the priesthood should be very important to us. A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father... Where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? It's an attitude. The scripture explicitly said you can't offer anything that's blemished. You can't offer anything that's blind as a sacrifice. But it is very clear according to Malachi, that they decided to let a couple things slip for the good of the people. We better keep the fat for ourselves. We'll offer the Lord what we have left. A lot of times, I see this all too often at church. We get a lot of donations, believe it or not, in terms of uh, tangible objects. And uh, it's, it's funny to me, it's slightly ironic, but a lot of the things that we get I'm like, where, what time machine did this just fall off of? Somewhere in inner space travel through the time warp perpetuum whatever, this blob of mass fell out. Like, 
you're going to donate a, a screen or something for the youth room, and I'm blowing dust from like the 1960s off of it. It only shows, it only, it only comes up in black and white. You, or, you know, if we, or we, you know, you're going to give, there's, I, I, it's just so many examples. But, yeah, you know, if you're going to give something to the kingdom, you know what you need to do? You need to take that hunk of junk right where it belongs, throw it in the dumpster, and you need to go down to Wally World and uh, support Sam and go buy a real one. Because there's an attitude. I'm, I'm not talking about the actual offering. I, I think that's admirable that you want to give stuff to the kingdom. I'm talking about the attitude behind it. The kingdom and the work of the Lord does not deserve anything less than your very best. If you want to see your life truly blessed, you do exactly what I just said. And next time you think about donating something to the church, you take it straight down to the dumpster and you go buy something brand new about, of what you were just about to donate. And see what the Lord does for you. Try him. Challenge him. Because blessings, when they come down, like I said, they don't just affect a portion of your life. They don't just affect your finances. Little dreams that you have. The scripture says the desires of your heart. He knows them. He wants to give them to you. The little things that you've been dreaming about in secret. Oh, I'd like to have one of those. Boom. Next thing you know, not only are your finances blessed, not only are your children blessed, not only is your family blessed, your marriage is blessed, but those little things that you never even spoke to anybody, all of a sudden they start come trickling down. Because there's power when you give nothing less than your very best. We're a royal priesthood, and we ought to know you can't offer anything blind. You can't offer anything that's spotted or blemished. You can only offer your firstlings the very best of all that you have. The very best, the very first of all your time, all your effort, all your resources, all your prayer, all your money. The very best. Try the Lord. I was reading a, a quote, and, because this really all boils down to attitude. And it's not a competition. That's what Cain and, Cain and Abel, Cain's problem was all he could see was the, the tension between him and his brother. You know, I, God turned this into a competition. Why did he do that? Now I'm going to have to get back at him by getting rid of Abel, but true fact of the matter is that the competition was never between Cain and Abel. It was always between just Cain and Cain. It's just giving the very best of what you have to give. Nobody's going to be like you. Nobody has what you have. So give the very best of what you have. Uh, I was, there was a quote by a president. I want to say it's I want to say it's Theodore Roosevelt, but I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But he said, if uh, you could kick the person in the pants that was responsible for the mass majority of all your trouble, you would not sit down for an entire month. <laughs> and that's because the person that you really have to convince to give it all, to give your very best, to give the first of all that you have 
is yours truly. There's another quote. It says, uh, the, the man that thinks he can and the man that thinks he can't are both right. It's all about an attitude. But I'm here to tell somebody this morning that the Lord will not accept anything less than your very best. If you'll stand with me. And I hope this hasn't come across in in any way as condescending because this is something that I have first preached to myself. But it is something that I need the genuine convicting power of Christ to sweep over each and every one of us. Because no one in this room is giving 100% of their maximum potential. It's not possible to sustain it for long periods of time, for starters. But secondarily, if everyone was giving 100%, we would have all of Richmond trying to pack themselves into this one little room. We would have half of eastern Indiana trying to pack themselves into this one little room. It's because as human beings, it's a daily commitment to give nothing less than our very best. That's something you have to wake up, your head pops off the pillow, and you got to say, you know what? The first of my time, it's not to Facebook, not to social media, not to my email, not to text. The first, not to television, first of my time, that's to you, Lord. And I might work real hard But when pastor asks for volunteers, the first of my fruit, my hardest work, that's for you, Lord. Are you with me? It's an attitude adjustment that we have to make each and every day. I commit to giving nothing less than my very best. Pray with me right now. And as we begin to pray, these altars are open and I want you to come. And I want you to lift your hands and I want you to commit your life, commit your heart and commit your mind to giving nothing less than your very best. Because when you do that, we will take authority and dominion not only over our own lives, but over the lives of our family and over the lives of every individual in this city. Because this is our domain. This is our city. This is our realm. And we need to take it back. But the only way to do that is through our work and telling ourselves and the Lord. I refuse to give anything less than the very best. Jesus, we come before you right now, God, humbly. And we consecrate ourselves and we consecrate our lives to you, Jesus. Lord, I consecrate myself and my heart. And I determine within myself that I will give nothing less, nothing shy for your kingdom, for your glory, for your name. Then my very best, God, the first fruits of all that I have, the first fruits of my time, Jesus, the first fruits of my resources, the first fruits of my finance, God, the first fruits of all my energy, Lord. I'll give you nothing less than the very best. Come, these altars are open. Come consecrate yourselves to the kingdom.